<laughs> You're right. Welcome to Maniacs and Martin Sight, a knife-making community podcast on the Discord server, The Blade Spectrum. My name is Ben Seacrest, also Fiery Ice Forge, and we have Marshall. I'm from New York. We have Daniel Machina. Howdy for Texas. We have Avexis. Hey, I'm up in Northern California. We got... Ichithes. Did I say that right? Sorry, man. Ixus. Howdy from Texas. Ixus. Ixus. All right, sorry. All right, sorry from the um, <laughs> We also have Rexlander. What up from Iowa? We also have David. Hi, from Oregon. And Gabriel, the garbage man. Hello, from sunny San Diego. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't say California because it's you know we already have someone else from NorCal. Um, anyways, uh, before we get into the podcast today, I just wanted to ask everyone, you know, what sort of projects you guys got going on. So, Daniel, you want to start us off? I am currently about to glue up handle on a six-inch drop point hunter. And then I'm moving on to a big buoy. Nice, nice. Uh, David, what you got? I just pretty much finished up my forge yesterday. Oh, that's yeah. pretty epic. Yeah, um, just finally got the refractory in. So. Nice, nice. Um, Avexis, what you got? I am finishing up a knife I was making out of the uh, Twist Damascus stock I made last weekend. And it's kind of a fun one because the client wanted a uh, chef knife shape, but like the spine thickness of a competition chopper. So it's like a competition chef's knife. Oh, yeah. Mad respect. Mad respect for anyone who can make Damascus. Um, For those of you who don't know, Avexis is very wise because he is our resident boomer, I have to say that. Um, I had to say it. I had to say it. It's tradition at this point. Um, Ben, what you got going on? Um, I'm working on some file work on one of the knives that nice. I am in the process. So uh, mm-hmm. that's that's pretty much it today. So um, cool, cool, cool. Hit everybody else. Cool, cool. Yeah, right, sure. So uh, the... What's up? Have we hit everybody? Oh, no, no, not, not yet, not yet. Go ahead. Okay, um, Jake from Itchy Thighs. What's up? <laughs> You're going to get it eventually. Ick, Ick <laughs> I believe in that. Ickthus, uh, Itchy Thighs. I don't know. Um, I'm filing some holes in the third layer with Kydex, cool. hole specs, and Boltron sheath for the Tanto tracker that I put in the knife pictures a bit ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. I have to say, the those are some cool blades, man. I appreciate that. He knows what's good. He knows what's good. Um, Marshall, got anything exciting? Well, I believe I'm... Wait, was I talking? Yeah, 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 you. Go okay, ahead. I didn't think I clicked the button. Well, yeah, I believe I'm going to make my first, as a resident beginner here, my first non-mild steel knife out of a saw blade. 
That's exciting. Cool stuff. Cool right stuff. on. Uh, and last but not least, our resident DJ, cool guy, uh, Rexlander. What you got happening for us? What up? Um, I'm working on the sheath for that, uh, I don't know, uh, the community build, whatever it's called. Okay. I don't know how you'd describe it. <laughs> Which month was that? Uh, the apocalyptic one, or whatever. Ah. Oh, so the uh, okay. our unofficial community build. The, the Fallout knife. The Fallout knife. We'll just call cool. it that. Cool. All right. It uh, is Fallout ben. colors. Yeah. Anyways, so I we're think... We're getting the steel types. I can introduce that if you guys want. Just Yeah, I think we're just talking about, like, basic steels as of right now, so... Right. I guess to start off, we should just ask everyone what their their all-time favorite steel is. Oh, there he goes. Yeah, go ahead. Take it away, Jake. All right, do you want me to introduce steel classes first, or just my favorite one? Um, For now, you can go over just your favorite. We'll go into the classes later. All right, my favorite is going to have to be CPM 4V at 63 HRC. Okay, um, Daniel, what you got for us? Currently, my favorite's probably 1075, just because mm. it's easy to heat treat, and I can get a hamone out of it if I want. All right, nice, nice. Um, David, what you got for us? Uh, I haven't really made much yet, and I haven't heat treated anything, so I got no idea. Okay, uh, that's cool, that's cool. I respect that. Um, you will have a favorite one day, hopefully. Anyways, uh, Avexis... I know you're a Damascus man, but what's your favorite type of steel? When I'm doing uh, mono steels, um, I like 1095s because most of the time, if I'm doing a mono steel blade, I'm probably going to be going for a Hamon. And um, but I also like to forge, so 1095 is a good forging steel that you'll still get a good Hamon out of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Marshall, you got a favorite steel? I believe since I'm a beginner, it'd be 1084, but if I wasn't a beginner, it'd be 01. Okay. Have Probably, you, uh, but third stir- durability. Okay, have you ever used 01 before? No, that's why I said for, not for a beginner. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, to, to piggyback on that really quick, 1084 is still an amazing steel. 1084 and 440C don't get enough respect. You can make a good lifelong knife with those. Yeah, for sure. Um, and Rex, what's your uh, all-time favorite? Uh, well, I mean, I wouldn't call it an all-time favorite, but I only use 1084, so oh, okay. that's what I feel comfortable with, with my backyard forge. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's fine. That's fine. Um, hmm, okay, so I guess the next question would be, you know, what what would you guys recommend to uh, anyone who's trying to buy some sort of steel? 1080. Yeah, 1080. Yeah. Basically, 1075, 1080, 1084, those three steels, if you're trying to be a beginner from a, an actual forging point of view, they're not too hard to move metal on. They're pretty forgiving. And if you're trying to start doing your own heat treats, those are also fairly forgiving on heat treat. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do you guys think would you recommend to anyone? 
I completely agree with the Vexus. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. 1075-1084. If you want to move into stainless steels, um, the other thing I would say from a from a cost perspective, don't look down on 440C. 440C makes an amazing knife when heat-treated properly. Um, so if you, when you're first getting started into stainless steels, especially if you're trying to do your own heat treat on stainless steels, don't go buy some of that stuff that is really ridiculously expensive. Go with 440C and, and don't get caught up in the super steel hype, especially if you're still learning. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, it's good that you bring that up because we're actually going to get into stainlesses uh, at a later time. But yeah, okay. Well, Ben's back. Um, do you have any recommendations? I guess as a maker's first steel, I would bring up which alludes to what uh, someone else sort of said earlier, but not in context to this question. For your first steel, mild steel. Don't even mm -hmm. worry about a hard. If it's literally your your first thing, just get mild steel. Practice. Make a knife. Hammer it out. Grind it out. Learn on the two dollar billet from Home Depot. You, you know, to uh, agree there because 1080 is already like six dollars a foot, you can't get much cheaper than that. Yeah, and it just depends. I know some people on uh, like if you're 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, the difference of five dollars could be huge. So if you are in that budget consideration don't feel bad about learning the basics on mild steel well like another go ahead go ahead <laughs> well another thing with that too is like um with the mild steel like if when you're trying to like practice heat treating you'll know whether or not like you have a proper source to get it up to temp if that makes sense like if your forge is good enough to actually heat up real steel mm -hmm. yeah um, that's for sure. Um, I don't know, because I think it's really, I mentioned this before, it's kind of what's available around you. Um, what was available around me, because when I was trying to actually make real knives at the time, I didn't know about, like, the New Jersey Steel Baron or Jantz or Texas Knife Baker, so I just went to my local IMS, and all they had was 01. So, I mean, from a... A financial standpoint, it's not really a good steal to get, but you know, it worked out pretty well for me and I learned pretty well on it. So yeah, it's just sort of what's in the book. Does does anybody have any favorite steals that they like to work with? Oh, we went over of course. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's fine, it's fine. Um anyways, I guess uh yeah, so I guess we should really go over the sort of simpler steels right now because that's sort of what, you know, someone should start with, something simple like 1084 or 1075 like you guys mentioned. So anyone want to throw in a dime for those things? So for the most part, any of the 10 series steels are, are going to be okay to start with. I would say avoid 1095. Of the 10 series steels, uh, it is by far the most finicky with heat, heat treat. Um, and it, it's very easy to not have it hardened properly. and um, it's, it's a lot touchier than the other ones. Um, another one that is 
really good to start with is the spring steels. So like the 5160 steels, um, they heat treat uh, very easily. Um, they make a really good strong blade. And even if you fuck up the heat treat a little bit, they are a fairly deep hardening steel. So you just got to get in the ballpark and you'll end up with a, a good usable uh, blade with, with some 5160. And that's even if you're not doing any forging, even if you're starting out as stock removal, um, those are pretty easy to grind steels and things like that. Yeah, um, I think the thing about 5160 is that it really only comes in quarter inch, um, especially when you buy it. I haven't really found, I don't think, I don't know why, I haven't found anyone who sells 5160 for less than a quarter inch thick. So I guess from a stock removal standpoint, 5160 would be easy to use. It's just very, very uh, thick, I guess. But yeah, I mean, those are some good recommendations for sure. Uh, one other thing I would throw out there, if you have a heat source, because um, I know some people who are doing stock removal and stuff like that are mailing it out for heat treat. But if you do have a heat source, uh, then I would highly advise... For whatever steel you're using, look up the annealing process for that steel. Annealing, before you do the brunt of your grinding, whether you're stock removal or cleaning it up after foraging, will save you a lot of belts, and it will make things a lot easier to grind. Um, but yeah, learn learn how to anneal the steel you're working on, and you will uh, save time and money on your grinding belts. Uh, I mean, don't most steels come annealed already? Yes, if you're pure stock removal, you can order it, and it will show up already annealed. Um, but that's not always the case. So if you don't have that ability, then annealing is not a difficult process for almost any steel. Um, you can Google them, uh, but yeah. Yeah. It can save you a lot. I'd also... I'd also... Add on to that that you should look into thermal cycling, especially if you're forging. It'll shrink your the grain of your steel before heat treating. Otherwise, you might end up with large grain. Uh, yeah, a lot even, of even with proper heat treat. So, a lot of beginners skip thermal cycling and. Uh, it's a hard topic to talk about because if you're not talking about a very specific grade of steel, how many times you thermal cycle and everything, you can get into the weeds on the details there. But uh, if you really want to get into grain structural and metallurgy, everybody talks about martensite and austenizing and all this shit. But um, uh, perlite, learning how to manipulate your perlite in the pre quench stage stages of the making is really what's determining your grain structure and the evenness of your grain and if you're going to end up with micro cracks and stress points um, but again i don't want to get deeper into that forest here unless we pick a specific steel to talk about and for the most part just google shit you'll get a good answer off google so while we were talking, um, Holy, do you have your mic? I don't think he does. 
Oh yeah, I do. Hi guys, how you doing? Fantastic. Uh-huh. So you're one of our overseas uh, community members here. So what kind of steals? Because they're going to be probably a little bit different than what we see typically over here in the U.S. What kind of steals do you typically see, and what kind of steals do you recommend beginners start with over there in Europe? Um, so I'm I'm not entirely um, sort of confident talking about these because I always consider myself a rather casual when it comes to uh, choosing kinds of steel and this sort of thing. Uh, so I usually just get my information from um, people that know more about me, sorry, about steel than I do. Um, but yeah, I, I do see a difference when it comes to um, steel discussion here and uh, in the US about the av- availability of, of different kinds. So uh, here I see, um, especially when it comes to the top-notch stuff, uh, what we have is usually some Bockler steels. So the from the Austrian company, uh, we have Almax and N690, which is uh, usually my go-to stainless. Um, D2 and O1 both seem to be very popular here for, for upper shelf knives. And uh, what seems really popular, uh, particularly in Poland, is um, HF50 for beginners, uh, which is a very basic um, carbon steel. I think it's uh, it doesn't excel in pretty much anything, uh, but it's very, very cheap. Um, and people tend to just find these on scrapyards and stuff because they're used a lot in, I believe, lift springs and, and this sort of stuff. Right. Yeah, it's it, it's a it's a version of another spring steel. Mm. Right on. Yeah, speaking of uh, of the scrap scrapyards and stuff like that, uh, I don't think we can really talk about steels without talking about you know scrap steels, the sort of underworld of you know knife making. <laughs> so, yeah, for sure. Um, but. You know, like, let's just go over a couple of scrap steels, because I think we've all at one point or another used, you know, some sort of scrap or reclaimed material in something. I still have some old Ford leaf springs in my steel bucket right now. Um, So every time I've used scrap steels, uh, one, there's nothing wrong with using scrap steels. There's really not. The hate towards scrap steels is bullshit. However, with all that being said, you need to actually inspect your scrap steels and you need to do um, some practice heat treats. Uh, because most of the time with scrap steel, it's like, oh, it's a spring. It's probably 5160 or something like that. But it's not always. So cut a piece off. Do a couple thermal cycles, heat it up to what you think is critical, do a quench, and then break it in half. Check your grain structure, check your hardness, and then if it's too much of something or not enough of something else, do another test piece. And once you're, you've dialed in your heat treat with a couple of samples from whatever that scrap steel is, and you figure out how to get the hardness and the durability that you're looking for you're good to go. And it doesn't matter that you're never going to know exactly what grade of steel you were working with. Um, in fact, from a, from a selling knives point of view, I've actually done very, very well um, in doing custom pieces where 
you know, someone wanted something made out of something that they used to have and things like that, um, which is where I got the Ford Leaf Springs, for example. They were from some dude's car when he was 16 that he wrecked and forgot that he had one of the leaf springs in the roof of his garage. And he could never get the car back, but I made him a knife out of his first car's leaf spring. And he doesn't care that he doesn't know 100% what grade of steel it is. Hello? Right on. And uh, I know a lot of people use files. So, and they'll uh, use some old files and... uh... The, again, they should still do that as well. Um, still do like a a test on it to try to see if they can hone like a as good as they can of a heat treat for that. And uh, you know, that's a big one. Um, I've definitely seen crowbar used for like tools for forging tools, like cut cut off stuff like that. Yeah, and you'll see different jackhammer bits, um, axles and stuff like that from different vehicles. Oh, uh, old ball bearings, for sure. I've done old ball bearings. I've made Damascus, canister Damascus with old ball bearings. Those are typically 52100 anyway, right? Normally. um, If you actually have, like, a ball bearing out of a decent piece of machinery, it's almost... Always going to be fifty two one hundred. Right on. Um. Hi. Um. Sorry. Is my mic working okay right now? Yeah, you sound yeah. good. Okay. Um. Yeah, my computer completely just left the earth, so that was pretty unfortunate. But, um. So I heard you guys go over leaf springs, things like that. All bearings. Files. Files, yeah. Um, Well, the thing about files is mainly, you know, most of them nowadays, I think, are case-hardened. So that's kind of something you have to watch out for, because if they're case-hardened, then you can't really do much with them. Yeah, and and that's that's true. You have to kind of test your steels. And that goes back to do a test uh, heat treating cycle on whatever you're using. Um, yeah. Uh, railroad spikes are another very, very common one. Uh huh. Heavily debated as well. Well, so what you have? There's no debate on that one, bud. <laughs> yeah. The actual. So the actual facts with railroad spikes. If you want to make a knife out of a railroad spike because it's cool or it's fun or you're practicing, that's fine. But even if you get a railroad spike that is stamped high carbon. That is high carbon compared to a normal railroad spike, but it would not even come close to qualifying as a high carbon steel. That's still a medium steel. Um, About the only thing in railroad track construction that you could actually make a true high quality hardened knife out of is the actual railroad track itself, which tends to be 1084. But um, railroad spikes are still really really good i love recommending them for people who are getting into the forging side of it because starting with a a square stock like that and learning how to draw that out both in length and in width to get the knife shape you want is really great practice 
for how to use your hammers and when you're going to want to use a rounding hammer and a flat hammer and different kind of peens. And so uh, they're great for learning how to move metal under a hammer. So would it be sick to use a railroad track then to find a railroad track and use that slab? Well, if you can manage to cut it. Yeah. If you that... have a method to get a chunk of like, if you can cut slivers and stuff like that off of a railroad track, if you have that'd be very difficult, that, <laughs> it would be very difficult, but that is actually, um, that's good. 1084 steel. Uh, that's also why people, uh, use them for, um, like mini starter anvils. Um, it's, they're really good steel. Railroad tracks are really, really high quality, high carbon steel. You're telling me this now? I used to work at a place that did railroad stuff. I could have stole so much metal, dude. You still can. <laughs> you still can. <laughs> well, I mean, there would have been less like repercussions if I would have stole it while I worked there. <laughs> I think that's heavily debatable. <laughs> now I'm just thinking of methods of how to cut slivers off of railroad track. Yeah, it's oh, not dude. worth the work to do it. <laughs> And again, yeah, and again, like you have to remember when we start talking scrap steel, <clears throat> railroad track is also an example of a, a steel that's got very heavy use in its life cycle. So the chance of there being stress fractures and micro fractures, and rust and stuff getting in there, like there's other issues that you are running the risk of when you use a scrap steel. Um, that also goes into anytime you are going to use a scrap steel. Um, anneal it before you do anything. Anneal it, relieve the stress of whatever life it lived as what it was before you started trying to forge it and and kind of reset your grain structure and, and, and start working on it. But, but yeah, even if you have good scrap steel from a good source and you actually are like 99% confident that you know what kind of steel that is, it still is going to have suffered the wear and tear of living its life in that role and so things like stress fractures and micro fractures and internal rust and things like that are, are always going to be a risk are you telling me that the fact that it sits outside for let's say 40 years with uh, how many tons running over it nearly daily is going to cause issues <laughs> a, a little bit and the, the, the other thing you'll run into is uh, when we buy knife steel nowadays um, most of the knife steel that we buy in the U.S. that's like graded 1095 or 1084 is coming from uh, sources that are inspected, regulated, uh, reputable uh, steel sources for, for makers do a lot in their process to make sure it's the same every time every three-foot section of 1084 is identical. Whereas if you get, okay, yes, railroad track in the United States is predominantly 1084 steel. However, a lot of that shit was just crapped out of mills and thrown on a track and one three foot section of 1084 railroad track and another section of three foot 1084 railroad track will not heat treat the same will not hold the same edge will not have the same brittleness like it's not as consistent and it's not as thorough or as regulated of a steel process it's the same reason like you can get cheap steels from other countries where it's not regulated. And yeah, that one knife you made might be amazing. But the next knife you make from a different batch from that same company with the same grade might be absolute shit. 
So that's the other thing that comes up with scrap steels is the regulations and the consistency of steel and the, the evenness of distribution of what that steel is made of is very, very different between a modern bar of steel you buy from Jance or Steel Baron or any of those people versus getting an old 1970-something truck leaf spring. No, pardon my ignorance. Was that the discussion of what you guys were talking about? Was is it worthwhile to use scrap steel or just buy knife making steel? Well, and again, I think if you're learning, scrap steel's fine. If you're doing it for a specific purpose, like the point is that this project is made out of a scrap steel, that's fine. But if you are a knife maker who is trying to make a name for himself and you want your career to be making knives, I would advise you against from selling a 5160 forged knife that you made out of a leaf spring and you don't disclose that to the client because when that knife breaks, that's going to be on your reputation. So end of the day, if you use a scrap steel, you need, it's your responsibility as the maker, in my opinion, to disclose the fact that that was a scrap steel knife to the end user. Not to put anybody on the spot, but has anybody here sold a scrap steel knife to anybody but a friend? Garbage man? Nope, never. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, really, this ain't me trying to come off as a jackass, but at the end of the day, if you can't afford a piece of 1084, there ain't much in knife making you're going to be able to afford. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I've known so many people that when they get started, they almost in their head assume how expensive stuff is. I've seen what well, I, I knew a guy that I, I, I helped teach him when he first got started, but he had gone and bought like $30 worth of old lawnmower blades from uh, um, a flea market to make (laughs) knives out of. And he showed them to me and he was all proud. He's like, oh, I saved all this money. I bought all this steel and it only cost me 30 bucks. So I sat down and uh, I think we went on to USA Knife Maker at the time. And I showed him like how much 1084 he could have just bought for $30. And it was literally twice as much steel as he got in used lawnmower (laughs) blades so a lot of people in their head they just assume that buying new is going to be crazy expensive and and it's really not yeah and also um when it comes to choosing steel when you're sort of shifting from beginner to intermediate um at some point you realize that you're putting all of this time and resources and um just your attention into making this one particular knife, it would really be sort of inappropriate to use just some scraps or, or bad quality steel for it. Because you at this point, you're not respecting your own time you put into this knife. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's funny sometimes yeah. where I've seen $70 of handle material meticulously crafted onto 50 cents worth of scrap steel. Yep, completely agree. Right on. So, the, who has a good definition of the differences between shallow hardening and deep hardening steels? 
Any, any takers? <clears throat> well, here. <laughs> it should be an Avexis podcast. Well, I, one, <laughs> if I need to stop talking, I'll stop talking. I know I'm very long-winded as an individual. Uh, you, you just uh, got to no. rename it to Avexis Q&A. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's out of my wheelhouse. I've only worked with 1084, so I mean, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, and shallow hardening and deep hardening, I think, gets misunderstood. And I know there's a lot of people that think of a quote-unquote shallow hardening steel. Like 1095 is a shallow hardening steel. But that's not the same as case hardening. Um, like if I quench a 1095 blade and I don't have any clay on it and I'm not doing a hamone or anything, that blade is going to be hard all the way through the fucking blade. Um, Right. And with most thicknesses that we are dealing with, thick. Um <laughs> you're not really going to have to worry about shallow hardening versus deep hardening. Now, that being said, deep hardening steels on average are more forgiving with their heat treat. They're going to convert to martensite uh more readily. Um, as long as you're in the ballpark. So like 5160, that's one of the big benefits of 5160. It's a very deep hardening steel. So if you're using a forge because you don't have like a kiln, so let's say you're using coal or propane to heat your steel for heat treat. In those cases, a deep hardening steel is going to be a lot more forgiving where you might have some hot spots and some cold spots and your blade's not perfectly even and it wasn't brought up to temp over two hours in a digitally controlled oven. Um, deep hardening steels are a lot more forgiving in those cases. Um, but then you get into stuff like hamones, uh, regardless of, oh, there's no manganese or whatever in the steel for a hamone line to be visible, a deep hardening steel just won't even give a fuck that you put clay on it and it'll harden up under that shit all the way to the spine most of the time. Um, now there's there's more well, they, to and it they, than that. But... Yeah, and they do also make uh, professional quenching oils for the different types of steels as well. Yes. Too. And I'd say that's the the main focus that people should pay attention to with those different kinds. So that way if if they're spending the money on professional quenching oil yeah. that they get the proper kind for the steel that they're working with to get a proper hardened uh, blade uh, as yeah. well. So Most of the time, most most knife makers who knife make for a living focus on two or three types of steel. And their equipment, their heat treat, their oils, their ovens, their quench plates... Their setup is built around the needs of those two or three types of steel. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, which also brings us to the next kind of thing, and that would be stainless versus carbon versus high carbon steel. And stainless is a very different animal than uh, high carbon steel is. Do we have uh, some stainless gurus on right now? I made two knives at a nitro V that I'm still working on, so I wouldn't say so. 
All right. Well, you got I more just... experience than it sounds like the bo- most of us did. So. <laughs> That's not um, a good thing. I would say that <laughs> they both have their places. It just depends now, on what you want to do. Now, what place do you think has predominance in which location? Like, do you think stainless steel is more so suitable for kitchen use, but high carbon is more of like an out bushcraft I kind think of thing? From what I've noticed, uh, like, carbon steel is more for like small makers, like small time makers or like custom makers, like low custom makers, not like high end custom makers, but like, and then stainless is more for like almost production type. You know what I'm saying? Like, more guys. Yeah. yeah the- who and use, I, I, like, water jet yeah, and shit. Yeah, the guys who have mills and water jets and laser cutting their blanks out. Well, there are some people that use stainless as well, too, that don't have all of that. But I, I'd say for the end uh, user, a, a lot of time for, like, the customer base, usually stainless would probably be recommended for somebody that doesn't really... Uh, spend a lot of time taking care of their knives and stuff like that because they're going to end up with a patina on a high carbon steel that they may not know even even though you might tell them a hundred times look if you don't oil your blade keep your blade oiled leave it out in the rain it's going to rust up they still might do it nowadays though everybody wants to like put their own patina on their knives and stuff yeah, patinas are coming back in vogue. But yeah, from... <laughs> that was the weirdest way to say that. <laughs> oh god, you guys are so young, <laughs> fucking babies. Um, in my experience with the stainless steel versus versus uh, carbon, there's there's a couple of things. If you want to forge a blade, you're gonna hammer it. You're not gonna use stainless at all. If you ever try to forge stainless, it just kind of doesn't work. Um, the other thing though, is your intended client base, people who want their knives for a utilitarian purpose, but they are not quote unquote knife people will buy stainless steel. So if you are trying to have a knife making business and you want to sell to, uh, home cooks or hobbyists that are doing different things, um, or the dude that goes hunting maybe once a year, but he's not like super into it. These are not the people who are going to buy a non-stainless steel high carbon blade. They're not that into it. They don't know how to take care of it. They don't want to take care of it. They want to throw it in a drawer until they need it, and then they want it to be ready to use. And uh, that's just kind of um, if your target audience is not knife people, then you should make stainless steel. Um, Most of the people I get that want a non-stainless steel are like we said earlier. They're people that want the patina and they're people that um, whatever they're using that knife for is a much more day-to-day thing. So people who hunt like every day of hunting season and they go to every hunting season and they're prepping their gear for each trip and they're cleaning it out after each trip and they're going every weekend. They more often than not, in my experience, ask for a high carbon blade. They like the basics steels. They don't want a stainless steel. I don't know why they make that choice, but they almost, I think they almost enjoy cleaning the blade. They enjoy the patina that develops over time. And even with kitchen knives, 
the higher end the chef I've been making the knife for, uh, the more likely that they might ask for a non-stainless steel and they actually want a high carbon blade. Um, but yeah. Speak, speaking as a hunter, it doesn't have anything to do with the patina or anything like that. It's more ease of sharpening. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know why they were asking for it, but I noticed like the 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 regular hunters usually asked for a high carbon steel, not a stainless steel. Easy to sharpen the field. And field yeah. sharpen it, yeah. Very, very great point. So, so I would yeah, say not that... not everybody knows how to do that. So go ahead, keep keep going there, Daniel. I didn't have anything else interesting to say really. <laughs> I was just saying that the kind of people like hunters and that type of thing that have guns and that type of stuff, they're gonna know how to take care of that type of stuff. Yeah, they've already got all the oils. They're already taking care of their guns, so it just becomes part of their routine. But I also feel it's our responsibility as knife makers to educate people on that type of stuff and explain to them the difference that they would get between a carbon steel and a stainless steel and how to... People anymore don't want to take care of stuff. They... And I don't know. I'll ramble if I get started. <laughs> well, another thing That's I right. have um, in my shop, and I have it with me, it's sitting right next to me. I have an old fighter that I made out of 1095, an old Hamon fighter that I made. Uh, it's 1095 steel. I've never oiled it. I don't clean it. I don't do any regular maintenance to it at all, whatsoever, on purpose. Um, and the point of it is for uh, educating some clients because some people come in thinking like oh my god if I get a 1084 steel blade and I forget to like oil it one week it's going to turn into a ball of rust um, so I have a blade that I made over two years ago that I've never done anything to to try and clean it or refinish it or anything like that um, just to show to people that honestly even if you get a high carbon steel blade and ignore the fucking thing it really isn't going to turn into a ball of rust it's got a couple of uh like non-structural rust spots on one side of the blade and that's it yeah the main thing is just keeping the stuff dry it's not yep. even oiling not even oiling near as much as you'd think it's just keeping it dry yeah, as out. long as you don't put it away wet you'll be fine yeah i've been out ranching in the rain and long as you keep it dry i have a knife a 1075 knife i've never oiled or done anything to kept it dry and there's not a spot of rust on it yeah there's a lot of people i think that that, that they live in this this belief that yeah oh my god if i don't clean it and oil it after every use the knife will be ruined yeah that's pretty cool. I'd like to see a picture of that if you want to put that up on knife pictures. Uh, I think that'd yeah, be let really me grab cool. It. To see because uh they, yeah, that's a that's a very good point to be able to show people because maybe it's not as bad as they think as as you were saying. So, oh, that's awesome. Just keep um, it dry and it'll do good for you. Do you guys have any hardening services? Um some places that you can 
or heat treat services that you can send off uh, some knives to. Do you guys know of any? I think I've heard of Peter's Heat Treat in Pennsylvania. Yeah, Peter's. <clears throat> Peter's, I would say, is the big one. Uh, there's a JT Knives does a lot of heat treating. Uh, there's I don't remember who it is. Someone does it through True Grit. You can go on their website and they have heat treating. I uh, get my belts from them usually for my one by thirty. I didn't know they did heat treating. Yeah, I can't remember. It's real known. Real. I known think they send it to Peters though. No, this isn't. This wasn't through Peters. Uh, Here, let they, me look. They used to sub it, but I think they do it in house now because they got well, enough orders that they they kind of grew that into they it. Bots. Well, I know True Grit's out in California. Yeah, let me. I'm looking here real quick. Let me see what I can so, find out. I mean, but yeah, that, you know. No, that's pretty cool. Um, and if so, we have yeah. beginners, um, if we have beginners like in this channel and stuff, and it's like your first or second piece, and you, again, if you're some kid and you're, you're cash strapped, if it's a piece here or there, like that stuff too, where I'll help you out. And there's a lot of guys in the channel that'll help you out. I have a digitally controlled kiln. If you have a 1084 knife and oh, I just forged it and it's the first knife I ever forged and I don't, I don't trust myself to heat treat it. Like stuff like that. I'll just, I'll heat treat it and mail it back to you. Like I am going to charge you. The guy that does it right through on. True Grit is a guy by the name of Jeff Mutz. M-U-T-Z. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah, and I know there's some other members of our community that have done that as well, too, for some people. Um, yeah, for beginners, it, it tends to be a community that's pretty good about supporting people that are trying to get started. Absolutely. How about um, some community shout-outs or inspirations or something like that? I mean, if we got nowhere else to go, then we could talk about like ways to heat treat or how to make a charcoal forge or a propane forge or something like that. Depends uh, on how yeah. Depends on how intricate you want to get. I guess. Uh, I mean, you can use like pretty much anything to make a forge. I would not. I know people do it, but I would not even know where to begin to tell somebody how to make a kiln to heat treat. A kiln? <clears throat> Kiln's yeah. different. Kiln's way yeah, different yeah. than a forge. Um, Wait, yeah. Yeah, that's out of my wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't even make a kiln. I wouldn't make a kiln first. A kiln is one of those I would recommend just buying it. Like, it's going to be real hard to make a good kiln. Unless you're very technically inclined, because you're going to have a good chance of starting a house fire, and I would uh, much rather not do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, not going to be any less expensive at the end of the day. Yeah, it's not but It's not like as easy as knife making to make a kiln. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but if you're just doing simple carbon steels, a good, properly insulated forge will do all the heat treating 
of any of the beginner steels. You don't need a kiln necessarily. Now bring it up nice and slow. Hold it for a few minutes at temp. Get a good even color. And even if you're just raw eyeballing it, bring it up till it stops being magnetic and then bring it up a smidge past that. And for 1084, 1080, 1075, those steels are forgiving enough that if you just make it a little hotter than non-magnetic, you'll probably get a good hard blade. And it'll be more than good enough for, for people that are just getting going. Yeah. I would also add that when it comes to forges, especially if you're building one, I would recommend having the burner come in from the side near the top and it'll uh if you have a round chamber it'll create a swirl the flame will swirl and that really helps with evenness of heat i can post a picture of my forge kind of explaining what i mean yeah that'd be awesome yeah all right um well, so I guess we'll go into some shout-outs. So I'm going to throw a big shout-out for our man, Austin Rexlander here. Um, <laughs> if not for him, the recording of the first episode would not have been edited at all. Probably still not by me if it was just me taking care of it. So... Huge shout out and thanks to Rex for doing that and uh, help contributing as much as he has been. It's really, really grateful for that, man. Thanks, buddy. Are we just going down the line? Oh, you want me to go next? Uh, Sure. Shout out Garbage Man because he's dope. (laughs) And uh, uh, shout out the Blade Spectrum because they're pretty lit, too. Anybody else want to give a shout out to anybody for this week? Shout out to all the experts looking into the questions, channel and actually answering them. So that's actually very helpful. Uh, could you repeat that? I didn't even hear what you said. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, shout oh, out to I, all the experts. I heard it though. I heard it though. Oh, you did? Oh, okay. Basically, okay. Yeah. shout out to all the people that look into the questions that new members have new members or members whatever and actually answer them because um i feel like there's really a lot of topics when it comes to knife making where um they're very deep uh you can get confused very easily and it's just great to have someone experienced actually listen to your specific question and answer it um properly as opposed to reading a ton of guides often contrary to each other and and just getting more confused. Yeah, the people that can can sum it up and turn it in in into like that too long like the the sum up answer cuz yeah, reading reading a 40-page dissertation on grain structure and crystal structure of steel at different temperatures is very different than someone saying, "Oh, what are you working with? 1084? Heat it up a little past magnetic, quench it in 100 degree oil and temper it twice at 400 and you'll be fine." Like there, there, there's a point as a beginner, yeah. You don't need all the fucking reasons. You just need to know what to do. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right on. Uh, so, yeah. Um, that being said, we do have a brand new Instagram account for the podcast called Maniacs and Martin Sight on Instagram there. Uh, you can, any listeners or uh, all of us here are definitely going to have already joined, but there is an invite link on that site. Um, if you don't have the invite link, you can download Discord and put an invite link, 7, capital D, capital H, lowercase u, capital T, capital H, lowercase n, and that will bring you to our Discord here at the Blade Spectrum, where we completely host this entire podcast, which is pretty cool. And as you guys have heard, we've had so many different people from our community jumping in to help with the recording of this podcast and talk. And uh, it's it's pretty cool. It's a really special thing. And uh, love it. Um, you guys got any any uh, closing statements to say? If I can throw a shameless self plug, uh, I I used to do them, but I had some issues, and I've resolved my technological issues. So starting next weekend, I will be live streaming some forging on Twitch again. So if anybody's interested in that, um, I'll usually either cover basic stuff or a lot of times. Uh, if people have questions on how to do something, we will like do a specific forging process to cover how to do something. Right on. How do people find you on Twitch? I, I'll put a link somewhere. I don't even remember. <laughs> it's been down for months. No. How, like, what do people search in order to find you on Twitch? Uh, Evexus. Uh, so I use this name everywhere. So my, my Twitch handle should be Evexus as well. And that's E-V-E-X-I-S. Correct. Cool. I'd love to give a shout out to um, this guy. Pretty cool guy. Named, Yo, uh... He just hopped in here for the shout out. Get out of yeah, here. <laughs> How was I supposed to know? I'd love to give a shout out to, first of all, Rexford. Um, Yo, what up? Pretty cool Lucy guy. Brink Knives. Lucy Brink Knives, if you want yeah, to yeah, check yeah. that out on Instagram. Yeah. Um, we're going to be doing a collab very soon so that'll be pretty exciting stuff also sounds cool self-plug gabriel the garbig man um garbag that's bro okay you're too much now because i already called you out you were my shout out you were my shout out yeah (laughs) must not have been here for that all right that makes two now so two people i guess he's a pretty cool guy now um so go check him out yeah Right on, guys. Well, else? this, I, I think that's it. I think that's, uh, I think that's an episode, guys. So, we will call it at that point and uh, Woo. Exciting close out stuff. another one. And 